The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings from our pet bus studios in Bradenton, Florida, located on the Sun Coast. That's the Gulf Coast or the West Coast of the state of Florida, the third largest state in the country. We are happy to report that our show airs from the Pacific Northwest to the Atlantic in North America. And we are actively involved in bringing more folks the best in pet talk radio. If you've never listened to our show, we love to report on breaking news and a variety of current topics that affect the lives of pet owners and their dogs, cats, and other animals. So today we have prepared some special programming for you. This show is about race, equality, and diversity in the world of pets and pet owners. Wonderful. So let's kick off the show with the weekly countdown. In segment four, we are talking with dog trainer and dog expert Blake Rashad of the Top Dog Canine Foundation about the diversity of the dog training profession and if the Black Lives Matter movement has had any impact on trainers, dog training associations, and pet owners. In segment three, we're talking with Dr. Carly Beth Hawkins of Southern Illinois University about her study focusing on if dogs can be racist. In segment two, we are speaking with Steve King president of the American Pet Products Association, about pet ownership statistics as well as diversity in the pet products industry. And in segment one, Dr. Fleck and I are talking about minority and the underrepresented veterinary professionals. So joining us today to talk about the steps that are being taken to diversify the veterinary industry and what more needs to be done is Dr. Annie Daniel the founder of the National Association for Black Veterinarians and Louisiana State University at A&M College Associate Professor of Veterinary Medical Education. Dr. Amy Daniel, we are pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for having me. So according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, nearly 93% of U.S. veterinarians are white. Why are there so few brown, black, and other minority veterinarians? Uh, well, from my research, what I've found is that um, many of the, or several of them, I have a whole list of 12 different items that will help to increase diversity and inclusion in healthcare professions. And almost, well, I don't want to say none of them, but very few of them are actually implemented in veterinary colleges across the country. And unless that's done, where there's outreach, holistic admissions, taking particular care at making sure that the environment is very inclusive, looking at realistic goals for diversity and inclusion, the outreach part is the key part because a lot of black and brown students don't realize that veterinary medicine is actually a career choice that they can decide to become. You know, like we talked about, I mean, the veterinary profession is probably the one of the whitest professions out there. 
Yes. And, and that's the reason why outreach is so important to have um, those black and brown veterinarians that are in the profession to um, get involved in outreach, go and talk about the profession so students can see people in the profession that look like them. And then once they do that, uh, research has shown that if they don't see anybody like them in the profession and they don't, they're not aware of the profession, then it's difficult for students then to decide if they want to be a veterinarian and actually seek out the profession. So I think it's the, the responsibility of those that are in the profession to, to really get involved in outreach. Yeah, and, I mean, um, I can see vet schools sponsoring African-American, Asian, or Hispanic veterinarians and going to local communities and, you know, mm-hmm. for a career day and talking about the profession. Okay, so... You know, it's, it's curious because obviously with uh, Black Lives Matter, the BLM movement right now, everybody is talking about racism and really opening up the things that we see. So do you find that black and brown veterinarians are subject to racism? And most importantly, from whom? Um, it, I think it happens at, at multiple levels within the profession. Um, I have talked with students who are in veterinary school that have been experiencing it. I've, I've talked to students that have applied to veterinary school that had stellar applications that were denied admission into the veterinary program. And I have talked to professionals who are in a clinic or a professional that is actually teaching at a veterinary school. And they have you know, so it goes across the, the, the entire gamut of the profession as far as those different types of blatant racism comments that can be made. And sometimes those comments are talked about or reported to a supervisor, then those people are retaliated against for making the report. And that's not across all veterinary um or all veterinary clinics. I don't want to generalize the stereotype, but it is known within the profession that, you know, if you just suck it up and deal with it. Right. Um, and if you if you do report it, then you will be retaliated against. And that's kind of what I've learned. There is a fabulous video that's out that's been put out by Wake Up Vet Mad. I don't know if you've seen it. But it is a probably seven minutes of different people in veterinary in the veterinary profession talking about their experiences with microaggressions and just blatant racist comments that they've received. And you it's know, called a crisis in the profession. A crisis and, in um, the profession. We'll make sure we get that link from you and put it on our social media channels. But you know, one of the things that I was really interested in, and I thought this was, I mean, really. Um, at a basic level and actually in a way kind of surprising. I, doing my research and prepping for this interview, and I'm sure you'll agree, Dr. Fleck, that some of the insensitive comments and the blatant discrimination came from pet owners themselves. <laughs> they were surprised to see black veterinarians. They were surprised mm-hmm. um, that, that black veterinarians thought dogs were family members. Um, they were... Um, they had dogs named maybe similar to the N-word if the dog was black and it was in the South. Mm. And they 
actually came out and said, I don't want a black veterinarian treating my dog. So those are the kind of things I think on a basic level, our listening audience are primarily composed of pet owners. So we kind of wanted them to start thinking about their approach to various veterinarians, whether they're Hispanic or African-American or Asian or something else, because I think it's not uncommon for a black professional to be treated or assumed to be a staff member, a nurse or something mm-hmm. lower. Wouldn't you say, Dr. Here, we want to be inclusive as a, as a profession and as human beings to try to include all of, all of our people to be involved in something yeah. that is as great as veterinary medicine. Yeah. We're hoping that your organization will inspire more African-American veterinarians to get out on the community so they can inspire others, whether it's grammar school kids, high school, or college students to be veterinarians. And doctor, you're in the forefront for this. Whatever we can do to help, we would love to. Sure. But before you go, can you give us your website so we can post that on our social media channels? Yes. It's nabvonline.org. nabvonline.org. And that's to the National Association for Black Veterinarians. Well, we want to thank you so much for being here today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you. That was Dr. Annie Daniel, founder of the National Association for Black Veterinarians and Louisiana State University and A&M College Associate Professor of Veterinary Medical Education. And so we thank her for being here. And we also are glad that that organization is taking steps to diversify the veterinary profession. All I have to say is don't go away. We'll be back with more Pet Buzz. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. How often should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling in things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walked into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. Tever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. 
Teva Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Teva Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TevaPet.com. Teva Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, bringing you the best in pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And as always, we want to talk about how current issues affect pet ownership and the pet industry as a whole, and even your wallet. As a result, this episode of this particular show focuses on race, diversity, and equality. And just so you know, we always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to join the conversation by posting your comments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So, pet ownership is growing in these unprecedented times, and according to Pet Product News Media, during the pandemic, pet businesses are thriving as more and more pet lovers acquire pets. But we're also curious how American pet owners and pet businesses are also dealing other issues, issues that deal with race, diversity, and equality. So joining us today is Steve King, the president of the American Pet Products Association. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. And I have to thank you. Really, thanks for coming back for this particular, this special show. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you inviting me, Charlotte, because it is something that's been top of mind for us, and and uh, I really am interested in having a conversation with you about it. You know, I think one of the greatest things that your organization does is publish the biannual APP National Pet Owner Survey, which helps members and others have better insight into the industry as a whole, and really helps them, you know, plan business strategies. I know a lot of uh, of your members use it for that. They scour the book. And then, mm-hmm. you know, journalists like myself use it to understand statistics in the industry, what's hot, you know, what's not, and just kind of make judgments from there. And one of the things that you focus on is pet ownership statistics and who's buying and what they're buying and services and, and really just the financial impact of the industry. And I'm curious, have you all ever included a racial breakdown of pet ownership, whether it's Asians, African-Americans, Hispanics, or Caucasians? Uh, yes, we do, and I'm, I'm glad you asked because it's been a part of the National Pet Owner Survey for uh, many years now. This is the 20th year we've published, and I think it's been a part of that uh, virtually that entire time. So we do look at the racial bre- uh, breakdown of uh, pet owners, including African-American, Asian, Hispanic, and uh, American Indian even. And, oh. and then that data is further broken down by uh, the species owned. So uh, in, in very general terms, we know that uh, African Americans, uh, amongst pet owners, uh, African Americans make up about 11%, Asians, uh, 6%, uh, Hispanic, uh, 16 uh, American Indian, uh, 1 So, um, So we have, you know, I think some pretty good data uh, that's useful to our members in understanding who their customers are. But even let's take it a step now, because we're in a whole new phase of we had COVID, then we had, you know, obviously George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, the BLM movement. How has that affected the pet industry? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I think all Americans have had to acknowledge that we still have a long way to go as a society to 
provide equal opportunities for people of color. And, you know, includes in policing and in housing and in hiring. There are inherent biases that you know, are still there that have to be addressed. So as much as the Peck Air community reflects America and American values, we really have to do more to work for diversity and equality and inclusiveness and within our companies, amongst our, our, our leadership, and in our boardrooms. So you know, I think as much as anything else, the Black Lives Matter movement has really been a catalyst for us as, as representatives of, of pet product manufacturers to engage on the topic and help our members with education, dialogue, you know, some concrete steps that, that we can take to improve the environment uh, within our own company. You know, and I'm glad that you brought that up because it kind of leads me into my next question. I haven't noticed you guys have issued any press releases. I mean, maybe there were there. Maybe I just didn't see them. So I don't want to, like, point blame because, yeah. like I said, we're not doing that. Yeah. Or statements discussing yeah. the topic. So I was just curious, like, what's your organization done to encourage diversity, you know, equality and inclusion in the industry? Yeah. So it's our our bad for not putting this information on our website. And I'll, I'll make sure we rectify that because... We, we do need to make it clear that we are dealing with the issue as an organization, and we have been communicating with our members about it. Yeah, about a month ago, in our newsletter that goes out to uh, uh, about 2,500 people uh, within our member companies, uh, where we publish what we call our, our Pledge for Action. And, and we didn't create this ourselves, but uh, we partnered with the National Association of Manufacturers in supporting this pledge. And I'd like to read just a, a few elements of it to give you a flavor of what we have indicated to our members as part of, of what we are going to do as an organization going forward. So within this pledge, we indicated that we are going to speak out and stand up for justice, equality, and opportunity. We're going to make bridging the racial opportunity gap a central part of our mission. We'll strengthen our workplaces at spaces where people of color will be heard respected and celebrated. We'll work to improve and increase the representation of black people at all levels of our companies and organizations. And we will diversify our supply chain by providing equal opportunity for black owned and minority owned enterprises to do business with us. So, you know, to me, that's a pretty firm statement of, of what our goals are. It's aspirational, of course, because we have a long way to go. But we have let our members know that that's something that we as an organization will be working towards, and we're going to help them to get there as well. So I apologize to you and to others who are looking for more guidance from us on this issue because we are working on it, but we just haven't done a very good job yet of letting others know outside of the organization what we're doing. Yeah, I think a statement would be great on the website, and people could actually see it as they're looking for organiz- information about your organization and kind of, you know, see how you stand and something that's, like, meaningful. I mean, you know, when we last talked off of the air, uh, I told you one of the stores in my local Florida neighborhood, they basically boarded up their store. I mean, we had a small demonstration here. Um, yeah. And that's what they did. I mean, so it was it was interesting. I and mean, I can understand why they did it. Um yeah. You know, they were afraid of looting and rioting, but I was just, you know, it, it's nice to know that, you know, something is coming and that you're working, um, you know, with your with your members. And that's a great statement, and it's a great organization to partner with. 
Well, thank you. And, yeah, and you know, the other thing internally is that we started a diversity and inclusion task force that comprised of nine members of our staff, all, all of who volunteered to be a part of this. And we're working through internally how, as an organization, we can try to live some of these ideals and to encourage discussion about race and equality amongst our staff. And race does play a part in in a lot of decisions that are made, whether it be consciously or unconsciously. And we want to make sure that we we kind of get that out as as a problem within our organization. Well, yeah, thank you so much for for taking my comments, and, you know, seriously. Any additional comments Mm -hmm. from you, Steve? Uh, It is so important that we are reflective of of what's important, uh, you know, to to, um, society in general, and and so we're committed to it. So thank you so much for having me on the show, and give my best to Dr. Fleck. We will. Well, everyone, that was Steve King of the American Pet Products Association. He's the big guy. He's in charge. He's helping to set policy with his great team of people. And we were discussing race, diversity, and equality in the pet products industry. Stay tuned. There's always more thought-provoking pet buzz coming up next. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less. Which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is, you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. Here at the Pet Buzz, we cover the issues that you want to hear about. This is a special edition of our show. We are talking about race, equality, and diversity in the pet world. Well, you know, since we are talking about race, equality, and diversity in the pet industry, the veterinary realm and the dog training world, we also want to include our dogs in the conversation to determine if it's possible that our beloved four-legged family members can be racist. So I ask you, are dogs racist or can dogs be racist? You know, we've covered this topic more than once on the Pet Buzz. The first time we, we covered it was, I don't know if you remember this, back I do in remember. 2015, we mm-hmm. spoke to Clara Jeffrey, who at the time was the editor of Mother Jones, and she wrote an article for Slate.com about her dog, Percy, who she deemed to be racist. The next time was last year, last August, in fact, of 2019, a black housekeeper was denied work at a church and the staff blamed the priest, kind of racist dog. And in June, we brought up a Wisconsin man dressed in KKK gear, walking his dog in the streets of his hometown. His action caused three people to call the police. 
So joining us today to talk about if dogs are racist is Dr. Carly Beth Hawkins, assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, to talk about this topic and her research study about the subject matter. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz, Dr. Carly. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we're going to go right into it. I'm going to dig right in with this first question. Are dogs racist? <laughs> well, not exactly. Um, by definition, racism requires social power. Um, and we we know that dogs don't really have social power. So by definition, they can't be racist per se. Um, but certainly dogs can show a preference towards people based on their race. And in my work, I tend to refer to this as a racial bias. Okay. Interesting. So in 2019, you conducted a study to determine if dogs are racist. What prompted this study? Well, I kept seeing this idea that um, dogs don't like black people in comedy skits, is where I was mostly exposed to it. Um, so Key and Teal has a skit about this, Curb Your Enthusiasm has a great one with uh, Wanda Sykes. And um, on The Daily Show, uh, Jessica Williams, who is black herself uh, and hilarious, um, reported on some data that police dogs disproportionately attack black people. Um, and she actually asked a dog trainer on the air, is that because we taste better than white people? Um, which is funny, but, you know, comedy aside, the data she was referring to uh, come from an L.A. County Sheriff's Department report. And they reported that from 2004 to 2012, 89% of police dog bites were directed at black and Latino Americans. So this, you know, idea that kind of existed in the popular culture and then this report that I read with a statistic kind of kept percolating in my head um, and when I looked to the literature to see if anything existed, you know, in the scientific literature, there was zero data. I mean, there was literally nothing that scientists had done to look into this question of whether dogs are racially biased. Uh, so that's what prompted me to study the question. Well, I'm intrigued with studies. So tell us about your study and what were the protocols? And who was involved? And who's involved? Yeah, sure. So, you know, this was the very first study, like I said, on this question. So we started, I think, pretty humbly. Um, and I'm a psychologist, so I'm not a dog behaviorist. Uh, I, I tend to study people, um, and so that's what I did. Uh, I started by asking people about their dog's behavior. So we collected a couple large online samples of both white and black uh, people who said they were a caregiver for their dog, who lived in their home, um, and they had exposure. their dogs had had exposure to both white and black folks in the last six months. Um, and so I asked them to what extent their dogs performed a variety of positive behaviors. So, for example, you know, allowed someone to pet them, smelled them or licked them, wagged their tail at them, you know, all the wonderful positive dog things that we think of. Um, and then also negative behaviors. So, like, barked at someone, growled at them, lunged at them. And I asked them uh, in the past six months, how much have your dogs shown these behaviors towards white people versus black people? So it is a self-report of their dog's behaviors. Um, you know, it's not the actual dog behavior. So it's a really important caveat. And like I said, you know, this was the first investigation. So my idea was if we found something interesting here, then it might spur people, you know, who study dog behaviors in the real world or in the laboratory uh, to investigate this further. But you had also black families who participated yes. in the study. So were there more? Yeah, I collected both. Okay, were there more African-Americans or more um, white people in, who participated in the study? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So um, definitely more white people, and that's true really of, of any social science research study. So 
Um, I, I, I worked hard to collect a big enough sample so that we would have a decent uh, number of black folks as well so we could look at their data too. Uh, but it is overwhelmingly uh, white participants in our study. Okay, the big question. What did your study reveal? What were the results? <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, the first question really was, do our human caregivers report that their dogs have these racial preferences in their behavior? And what we found was that um, white people, white caregivers reported their dogs were more, um, were showed more positive behaviors towards white people than black people. Uh, but we also found that black participants reported that their dogs showed more positive behavior towards black people than white people. So there seemed to be kind of an in-group bias there among the reports of the dog's behaviors. Um, and that's for positive behavior. So for both our white and our black caregivers, we found no difference in their reports of negative behaviors. Um, and I think that's really important to point out um, because it could be the case that you know, people don't want to report that their dogs show negative behavior, right? We're sort of biased towards thinking our dogs are wonderfully behaved. Um, it could be the case that negative behaviors don't happen that often. You know, we know most dogs aren't aggressive. Um, and so, you know, I think that's an important thing to point out because it doesn't really tell us as much about, um, you know, whether dogs would, say, bite, you know, someone based on their race, um, you know, from our study here. So that that will require more research to understand um, and then we also did see that among white caregivers, we did find small relationships between their reports of their dog's pro-white behaviors and their own implicit and explicit racial bias, as well as their own um, reported contact with white and black people. So that was something uh, that we were interested in, um, you know, that finding as well. You know, as a veterinarian, I think there are some uh, some pets that have uh, veterinary biases, just as a byproduct of conversation. You know, lastly, I don't know yeah. if you can answer this, but can how can pet owners use your information, your study results to have positive experiences with their dogs? I mean, obviously, I would think a lot of, and this is one of the mantras of dog training, socialization, socialization, starting with when your dog's a puppy, correct? Yeah, you know, um, with all the caveats, right, that this is an initial study and there are limitations and everything like that, um, you know, we did we did find that evidence that um, that white caregivers, the the more that they reported uh, having um, interactions with black folks, the less pro-white preference they reported in their dog's behaviors. And so, you know, I think that it's not, you know, there was a small relationship, but I think it's not so far. Uh, to suggest that um, that socialization is important, and like you said, it is in line with with the dog training literature uh, and all of that as well. And so, you know, I'm not trying to assign blame, you know, say that white people are at fault, you know, for their their dogs' behavior or anything like that. It's more, I think, a result of our segregated society in America that people um, don't have a lot of interracial contact on a day to day basis, or that many people don't. Um, but I do think that it is reasonable, given our findings and the literature more broadly, to suggest that caregivers increase socialization among dogs and especially puppies, of course, um, with people of other races. And from the research that we have in social psychology, that um, that suggests quite quite um, powerfully that that would probably be good for humans as well. Just good answer. Awesome, good awesome one. information. <laughs> Another good answer. 
Well, Dr. Carly Beth Hawkins, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your research as well as your insights, which we've heard a great deal of, about dogs and racism. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And um, I'm glad that, that you all are tackling this question. I think it's an important one. It's one that tends to be whispered about rather than talked about. And I think it's important to talk about it. So thanks for having me on today. Stay tuned for more of this special edition of the Pet Buzz Race, Diversity, and Equality. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it every week. We're urban, suburban, and, and country. country. You know, this is a special episode of the Pet Buzz. In this episode, we're talking about race, diversity, and equality in the pet world. Well, I want to start out this segment by telling you all a story, or rather a conversation that I had more than a decade ago. You know, most of you know that I'm from New York, and a New York dog trainer who's the author of quite a few books and pretty well known. Uh, and I were talking about the rise of uh, dog trainer Cesar Rolland. I'm going to say this was probably about 15 years ago. Well, at that point in time, I didn't know Caesar. Uh, I didn't. I knew very little about him. I had never read any of his books. But when I asked about Caesar, when I asked this dog trainer about Caesar, I think this was around the time that his show popped up on Prime Time. This dog trainer told me Caesar was not really a good dog trainer, but that he was just good enough for the Hispanic community. And I, I, I really have to tell you, I was aghast at that statement. I mean, at the time, I was completely floored. And I didn't really question him. And, and I know, you know, looking back, even when I hung up the phone, I knew I should have. But I can tell you, it was the last time that I talked to that trainer. And over the years, he's called me a few times. And I really kept my conversations to a minimum because I wondered what he said about me. What he said about me dog training, what he said about me on TV, what he said about me being a spokesperson, and what he said about me having a radio show. Well, why, why do you say that so that people understand? I say that because I'm a mixed-race individual, and I'm proud of who I am, and it floored me that it was such a blatant racist statement that he wasn't a good dog trainer but he was good enough for the spanish community i mean did that mean he wasn't good but he was <laughs> he was he was just good enough for them i mean don't whether whoever you are deserve the best some people just make ignorant and that's why, statements and that's yes. why i have one of the best in the business 
who's going to talk to you now. So who's joining us, Dr. Flynn? Well, that best in the business who's joining us to talk about dog training and racism is Atlanta-based dog trainer and dog behaviorist Blake Rashad of the Top Dog Canine Foundation. Blake is a former police officer and dog handler for the City of Atlanta Police Department. Blake, thanks for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Bow wow. Yeah. We're, we're doing bow wow fantastic. Okay. Okay. So, so please start by telling us why or what motivated you to become a dog trainer. Well, what motivated me was um, childhood depression and anxiety, and um, which that pulls you away from the public and the people and not understanding. At seven or eight and ten years old, you don't understand depression and you don't understand anxiety. So, but what I did understand that at my best, I felt good when I was around dogs and I had a natural ability to understand them and to train them without any formal training. Okay. You, my friend, are the owner of Giant Schnauzers. So when people see you with their dogs, are they shocked about your dog ownership choices? You know, um, the Giant Schnauzers are getting a little bit more popular now, but I've been breeding them since 80, 87, 88 and working with the Giant Schnauzers. And yes, Always, it was uh, uh, very shocking to people uh, trying to understand why I chose that particular breed. And um, and and then talking to some, I actually realized there was some stere- uh, stereotypes. Uh, they're thinking, well, why don't you have a Rottweiler? Why don't you have a pit bull? <laughs> and um, I mean, just flat out and say it, you know, I was like, well, I think they're great dogs, but it's not what I want to breed and raise. I, I love the guys now. And uh, and since it was such a unique unique breed. It was very, uh, it, it, I wouldn't say it bothered them, but it, they just, it, it, it didn't click. They couldn't understand why. That Those are the subtle forms of racism that you find. I mean, especially in the purebred dog world, correct? Absolutely. Even as a breeder now today, I have to uh, uh, check people on Facebook because they automatically assume that I don't have the knowledge uh, to, to breed a giant schnauzer, which, which probably would other than Silver, Sylvia, Sylvia in uh, California and myself, we probably been breeding giant schnauzers in the United States longer than anyone. Wow. Well, let's expand a little bit on that diversity. Is there a lot of diversity in the dog training profession? Are there, say, a lot of people who are brown and black represented in this field? I've seen an increase. There are, but it depends on what level you're talking about. Uh, if you're talking about in the dog behaviorist, you know, most of it is in your backyard breeding and your protection breeding. There's a lot of diversity in the protection world. But when you start um, going on talk shows and speaking to the media, social media, as well as uh, television and radio about and answering serious questions about dogs themselves, then that narrows down to very few people of color. Very few. I would say probably a handful, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, Blake, I want to ask you a question because when I was doing some uh, research for this interview, I came across uh, a statement that Karen Pryor, uh, Karen Pryor is a well-known dog trainer and author, and she recently wrote on her website, as of June, a post entitled Black Lives Matter Statement from Karen Pryor Clicker Training. Karen really pushed clicker training to a new level. And in her statement, she wrote, Black Lives Matter, colon, Karen Pryor, clicker training stands with the protesters against violence, black, indigenous, and people of color 
face too often. Change is needed. As positive reinforcement trainers, we know that behavior is never static. If we stay silent, we in effect reinforce past behavior, dot, dot, dot. Black, Indigenous, and people of color are underrepresented in dog trainer and behavioral specialist professions and related occupations. We are committed to conversations and dialogues, education, and steps that lead to greater understanding that can make the profession more inclusive. Okay. Now, it's my understanding that various dog training organizations have recently condemned racism. Are you surprised by these changes of attitude, or do you think this is the, you know, joining the bandwagon philosophy of white people talking about more inclusion, diversity, and calling out racism when it's been there for a long time? Yeah, I think, I think more so it's just joining the bandwagon right now. So it's popular. Just for the first time, you have to choose a side, especially if you're in business. So what advice would you give kids? Yeah. Get involved. Learn. Open your mind to, to do what you love. The money will come. You love animals. There's so many different fields that you can go into, and then you'll be doing something you love for the rest of your life. So, so get involved. And there's also so many organizations that you can volunteer. Exactly. Wow. Blake, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your sharing your some of your life experiences as well as your insight, particularly with race, equality, and diversity in the animal care service industry. So before you leave, can you give us your website? Yes, it's uh, Top Dog, dog with two G at the end, the letter K, the number nine dot org. I said again, it's Top Dog, the letter K, the number nine dot org. That was Blake Rashad. He is a fantastic dog trainer and dog expert. I've known him for years. He represents one of the best in the dog world. He's a great guy and an awesome family man. So I love him. I'm so glad he was able to talk to us. And a wonderful interviewer, too. Absolutely. What were your impressions of the show today? I'm Just just tell me, what were your impressions of the show? I think this is one of our most intriguing, insightful, and wonderful uh, shows that we've presented in the last, what have we been putting them together for six or seven years? It has such an impact and is so meaningful at this time as our society is going through the changes that it's going through. Yeah. And it's and it's so important because, you know, it is time to be more inclusive for really good people. You know, whether you're brown, black, white, uh, whether you're you're Jewish, Catholic, agnostic, atheist, whatever, Protestant, you know, it's time to be inclusive for everybody that has so much talent to offer. And we just need to make sure you know, that I, that opportunity is there. Yeah, but as long as we have conversations about these things. and we're, we I'm just, I'm just more concerned because I know that there's so much talent with so many different people that could be part of our profession that could really be helpful to move us forward. I'm glad that you shared your impressions of the show, and I'm glad it was a, such a successful show. And like we said, we didn't do the show to preach. We did the show to really talk about what's happening in the news. But we want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear what you thought. We of sure the show. do. We really so do. Write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com or post your thoughts on our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Unfortunately, Dr. Fleck, it's that time. Can you thank our guests? Yes, special thanks to our guests, Dr. Annie Daniel, Steve King, Dr. Carly Hawkins, and Blake Rashad for joining us on this special edition of the Pet Buzz. And of course, we must always thank our sponsor, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products everywhere. And if you missed any portion of this show, this very special show, 
visit our social media channels, as well as your favorite streaming channels, and listen to the Link Podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. My name is Mike Ruiz, and I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada, and now I live in New Jersey. The thing that made me fall in love with Oliver was the very first time I met him, he was being fostered by a friend of mine whom I was visiting. I opened the door to my friend's house, and Oliver came running up to me, sat at my feet, and looked up at me with the most beautiful, big, brown, soulful eyes. And within 24 hours, I had filled out all the paperwork, and Oliver was my son. I've experienced a lot of discrimination with Oliver. We would walk down the street, and people would literally cross the street. We you know when they would see us coming, you know, they saw like a menacing pit bull type dog. I just found it so baffling because Oliver was the sweetest, gentlest creature that I've ever met in my entire life. Sadly, I lost Oliver in August of 2018. I wanted to commemorate him in a way that was very meaningful. So I got this tattoo of him. It's just such an amazing thing. Knowing that I carry him in my heart, I now carry him on my arm. My name is Mike Ruiz, and Oliver and I are individuals.